Last week, we looked at the responsibility of the wife to the husband. And in in our specific context in chapter 3 of 1 Peter, verses 1 to 6, uh, the specific context was when the wife is a believer, a Christian, and the husband is a non-believer. But as we talked about last week, the the principles that Peter is, is, is telling us are universal. For instance, we saw in verse 1 that wives... Like, verse 18, servants, like, verse 13, all of us as citizens in the country that God has placed us, we are to all be submissive in the roles that God has given us. Whether it is to your, your government, your authority, whether it is to your, your master or to your boss, Or in the marriage relationship, a wife is to show a biblical submission to her husband. And then we saw that that this submission is is a, a, a form of evangelism when it's in the context of an unbelieving husband and a believing wife. Without a word, the gospel can be portrayed. And we also talked about last week in verses 3 to 4 that through godly submission, the wife is actually adorning herself, is showing that she desires to adorn herself not simply with outward beauty, the things that pass away, but with an inward beauty. A beauty that, that models the, the, the qualities of Jesus Christ himself. Who, who was meek, who was gentle. And then we also saw that, that this act of submission on, on, uh, by the wife actually shows that she is following the footsteps of godly women all the way back in redemptive history to Genesis. In fact, the Bible specifically says uh, the women in verse 5 talks about the, the holy women who hoped in God. And then he uses a specific example of one of these holy women, Sarah. And you remember that interesting uh, uh, phrase there, calling him Lord. And, and, and we talked about the fact that, that, it's, that the Bible's not saying women, you have to call your husbands Lord. But that phrase she used back in Genesis 18.12 was an example of her submission to Abraham that she was following the call that God had given to Abraham to leave everything, to follow God. Because God was going to do great things through Abraham and his descendants. Christ would come from Abraham and the promised seed. Now, it's easy for individuals to kind of take verse 6 a little bit too literally when they say calling him Lord. In fact, I was a bit concerned because Hazel uh, talked to me this week, and she said that after last week's sermon, there is a picture that's now hanging in their house
And now Hazel has to say, yes, my Lord. <laughs> Actually, Hazel did show me this picture, but uh, that was a, a, a kind of a retirement gift someone painted from the bank. So I don't know, is that hanging in your house? Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding uh, that, that he is not made to be referred to as Lord. But I, when Hazel showed me that, I could not pass it up. It was like, th- this is divine timing. <laughs> but this is an attitude of submission, and that is why Peter brings out Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. There was not a fighting that, I mean, think of the traumatic experience it would have been for Abraham to pack up and move everything he had to follow God, and God simply says, go to a land I will show you. This was as much an act of faith in the heart of Sarah as it was for Abraham. And this week we're going to continue and go to verse 7, where we talk about life in exile, how we live, how we conduct our marriages while we are sojourning on this earth. And we're going to now direct our attention to husbands. Yet again, we will be addressing those who are wives as well. It's interesting, verse 7, is, let's read it together. It says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. It's interesting, we talked last week about the household codes, the Roman household codes uh, of how to live, how to conduct yourself. And there were also household codes for husbands. And uh, Greco-Roman ethicists or, or, or philosophers that, that instructed Roman citizens and Greek citizens on how to conduct themselves in an upstanding way in society, they did teach that a husband's authority meant duty, responsibility, and care. Those are good things, Right? Those things, like in our society, were not always followed. In fact, women could be looked down upon, as we talked about last week. But moralists of the day did say that a husband's authority meant duty, responsibility, and care. Really, though, the dividing line between what Scripture taught and what society taught was how the husband was to view his wife. You see, the New Testament increases the responsibility given to the husband in how he is to perceive his wife, how the husband is to view his wife, how we men are to view women, and therefore how we are to treat them. This morning we're going to view how the husband in this divine institution that God has established, marriage. How the husband is to treat and value his wife. 
And we're going to see this morning that this is really a serious matter before God. And if this is serious before God, then this really should be serious before us as well. And we're going to see once again that, that if we are going to view ourselves in light of our true spiritual identity and not the, society, not the identity that society gives us as husbands, then we are going to put away the excuses for not following the, the, the biblical exhortations to, to us as men. We're going to put those away and we're going to say, God, by your grace, by your strength, I want to be the man, I want to be the husband that you've called me to be. So we're going to repeat again our key theme of this series because it all, everything that Peter tells us goes back to who we are in Christ. If we are to faithfully persevere and be on mission for him, so let's say this together, we are called to faithful perseverance and mission in light of our identity as the people of God. So this morning we are looking at the responsibility of husbands in verse 7. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Lord, I pray that you would take your word and Lord, that you would pinpoint areas of our lives regardless of whether we are husbands, whether we are wives, whether we are single males, whether we are single females, uh, whether we are teenagers, whether we are children, Lord, would you take your word and would you apply it to our specific situations that you have placed us in while we are sojourners in this world? Lord, would you help us to respond in obedience? Would you, would you, would you just humble us this morning? Would you break down walls and barriers that we have built up? And would you do it through the power of your holy word? God, we ask you to work in our assembly this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You might find it interesting that only one verse is given to husbands in this passage, and there's six verses given to wives. And you may say, man, that doesn't seem very fair. Well, let me, let me encourage and emphasize to you this morning that the reason for the the uneven amount of verses is not because one is more important than the other. Remember that Peter is talking to exiles and sojourners who are believers. He emphasizes the role of the wife because it was the wife that had the tendency to be oppressed. How do I follow God under oppression? Especially if it comes from an unbelieving spouse. How do I follow God when I'm in exile in my own home? So while Peter only then touches on, in one verse on husbands, in reality what he is doing is he is putting great responsibility on husbands because husbands were generally not the ones that were oppressed, at least in the home. So he's talking to us as men. This is how we are to lead our homes. 
And th- we see here that, that there are two main concepts that we are going to look at in verse 7. The first one is, men, we are to have a proper understanding. And we're going to talk about what that proper understanding has to do with. But right now, we just want to focus in that our first call as men is to have a proper understanding. You see, there is accountability in marriage. What does the first word of verse 7 say? If you have uh, an ESV like I have, it is the word what? Likewise. So, this, so, so what Peter is doing in this first word is he is again connecting the responsibility of husbands with what he says in verse 1 with wives, where he uses the same word likewise. He's connecting the responsibility of husbands to verse 18, what he said about servants. He's connecting the responsibility of husbands in verse 13 for what he says about earthly citizens. You see, we are all given responsibilities. This is not an area where the husband says, wife, you do your part, and you let me live any way I want. This is a mutual striving together in the home for the things of the Lord. There is a joint responsibility I mean, in the, verse, in the passage that Terry read, he, said, he talks about husbands and wives and he connects that to Christ and the church. Marriage is, a, is meant to be a picture of Christ's relationship to the church. Christ has given everything to the church and the church is to respond in submission to Christ. There is mutual responsibility there. And again, that's why we have church members, church covenant membership, because we are saying we want to engage in a local church with the responsibility you have given us as your people to be dedicated to, to the bride of Christ. There's an accountability here. You see, what that one simple word likewise does is it puts the husband on equal footing with his wife. Remember we talked about last week that that Peter's call for the wife to submit, it is not a degrading of women. It is actually he is esteeming women higher than what even the society of his day thought. And what he says in saying, now men, you too have a responsibility, saying you guys are on equal footing before God. One is not greater than the other. Men, I wonder if you're a husband here today, if you not verbally necessarily, but mentally have put yourself on a higher playing field than your wife. But let's look now specifically at this call to understand. Peter, uh, Peter says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Now, certain versions uh, render this verse differently. And as we're going to see this morning, the living with your wives in an understanding way is more connected with the phrase uh, as the woman, as the weaker vessel. 
as the showing honor has more to do with being heirs with you of the grace of life. And that's the way we're going to talk about this this morning. So there is a call to understand. Literally, if you were to read this in Greek, it would say, uh, likewise, husbands, live with your wives according to knowledge. So the question is, how is the husband to live in knowledge? What is he to be knowledgeable about? It's nice to know what you should know, right? In order to know it. And before we fully explain this, I do want to say that there is a need to properly understand one's wife, correct? You need men to know your wife, right? It's hard to love her and cherish her without knowing her. And that maybe is where your mind first jumps in understanding this passage. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. There's a need to to properly understand one's wife, how your wife thinks and feels, what she likes, what she dislikes, what are her interests, what are her hobbies. Uh, and, and, And husbands, men, I talk to myself as much as I'm talking to you, are we good studiers of our wives? Are we? Do you know your wife? When is the last time you have simply observed her? What is she feeling? What does she like? What does she dislike? What are her interests? What are her hobbies? And how can I pursue her through those things? This doesn't matter if you've been married for two months or if you've been married for 50 years. Um, The pursuit never stops, or at least it shouldn't. We, we often think of our wives' love language. How many of you have read or you have, uh, you've read the book, The Five Love Languages, or you've at least heard the title, The Five Love Languages? How, how many of you know what your wife's love language is? Uh, th- that is a pursuit of knowing your wife. Uh, to know your wife uh, involves knowing what she fears, what gets her upset, and hopefully not to use that against her. But I would submit to you that there is an even greater understanding than this that Peter is really trying to get at. When he says, live with your wives according to knowledge. I think according to context, what Peter is saying, he's not saying less than men you are to live knowing your wife, but I think he's saying much more than that. What he is saying is, men, we are called to understand, uh, to live according to knowledge of our calling of following God's will in this relationship. We are called to know God's will. We are to understand our Christian calling as a husband. We are to understand God's will that just like we talked last week, that the wife is called to mirror the gospel to her husband, whether that husband is a believer or an unbeliever. Husband, we are to understand God's will that we are called to live the gospel 
to our wives. That is God's will for us as men. We are called to show grace when grace is not deserved. We are called to be merciful when mercy is not deserved. We are called to pursue God, to desire His will in our lives and in our family to the sacrifice of everything else, whether that's money, whether that's promotions at work, whether that's pursuit of hobbies, because we know what is most important in our home, and that is to pursue God. That is what this verse is talking about. We've already saw in chapter 3 and verse 2, speaking of wives, that wives as well, they are to live, it says, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. If you remember last week, that fear or reverence is the, the literal meaning of that word. It's not a fear or reverence first and foremost to the husband. No, this is talking about a, a focus that is on God that lives out of reverence for God. Look at chapter 2 and verse 19, talking about servants. He says, this is a gracious thing when mindful of who? Of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. You see, what Peter's saying here in the context of these household codes for Christians is that we are to be living for God, not simply on the horizontal for one another. So if I'm a servant and I'm living for God, I'm going to have a perspective to act justly when my boss is treating me unjustly. I am going to be able to have the perspective to endure suffering while doing good. If I'm a wife, I am going to be able to live as the wife God has called me to be, to display the gospel to my husband even when he doesn't deserve it, to live in reverence to God and the outflow is a reverence to the husband. And men, when we are living according to God's will for our lives, what's going to come as an overflow to that is you are going to live in understanding of your wife. You see, a lot of times in Christian counseling and in marriage books, we like to deal with the surface issues. Well, you got to know your wife more. You got to do this. You got to go on more dates. You got to do that. You got to do this. But we're never getting to the root problems that we are not living a life for God. And therefore, the overflow of that is creating marriage problems in our home. We can never have the marriage that we could have if Jesus is not the center of our home. And Jesus will not be the center of our home if he is not the center, first and foremost, of us as men, because we're called to lead our homes. Maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking of that last fight you had. Maybe it was this morning.
And maybe we need to look at that outflow of frustration, whether you're a man or a woman here today, and look at it deeper and ask yourself, how is my relationship with God? Sure, I know that things may be messed up with my relationship with my spouse, but how is my relationship with God? Maybe that's the core reason my horizontal relationships are experiencing struggle. I mean, you don't have to be married to apply this principle. It could be a coworker, it could be a friend, it could be a person in this church. See, again, one theologian points out this, this same idea uh, when he says that this phrase, according to knowledge, it, it is to refer to the relationship of husbands to God. Husbands, then, should live together with wives informed by the knowledge of God's will, of what he demands them to do. And what does he demand us to do as his people? Peter has written it from the very beginning of chapter 1. We are to live in accordance with our identity, who God bought us to be. So, so what's, the, what's the, the sphere or the context then in which this living according to understanding deals with? It deals with our marriage relationship, God's will in our marriage, which, which again, is uh, at its heart, is the same as what he told wives. It's just played out differently. The wife submits as the husband leads according to God's will. So men, here's another principle. Are we leading in a way that if our wife does not submit, it, she's not submitting to, to God's leading in your home? Are you seeking God's leading in the home or are you just going off on your own tangents, expecting your family to comply? It's interesting that, that the word that, that is used, live with, it's used in, in, the, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament to refer to the husband and wife dynamic of living life together. Did you know that this word uh, in Deuteronomy and, and the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures is even used of the sexual relationship of men and women? How easy it is to not live in an understanding way of God's will in every facet of our living together with our wives. Peter here is saying, in every sphere of life, you're to be living with your wife according to the knowledge of God's will for you and for your home. And we're not talking here about knowing God's will regarding, um, you know, which job am I to take? What's this? What's that? No, remember we talked about God's will is very clear. I mean, Peter makes it crystal clear what God's will is for Christians. The other life decisions, uh, God leads us in those, but God's will is not a mystery in the Bible. 
This affects every area of life, the emotional connection, the physical sexual connection, the spiritual connection. All of these are affected, husbands, when we do not live with Jesus at the center of our lives. When we are not seeking to live with the gospel in our hearts, asking the Lord to transform our lives to where we are living displays of the gospel to our family. You see, this is a continual living out the gospel with our wives, with our children. The idea is be living with, be continually living with your wives in this understanding way. Now, as you remember, when it says calls the the woman the weaker vessel, it it, it connects this idea to living with your wives in an understanding way. So not only do we see here uh, this morning regarding our proper understanding that there's an accountability in marriage. The wife has responsibilities, but so does the husband. And wife, it is your spiritual duty and obligation to lovingly confront your husband when he is not putting God first, when he is not living for God, did you know that you can still be submissive and confront your, your husband? You're, you're, you're not, uh, submission is not a call to be a doormat like we talked about. And guess what? A godly husband, husband, if we are living according to the knowledge of God's will, we're going to treasure that Accountability. Yeah, it may feel awkward at the beginning, and and we may bristle against it a little bit. But man, if we're living for God, we should love that and even say thank you for pointing this out. And we also see that not only is there this accountability in marriage, there's a call to understand, but when, when Peter brings out this description of the woman the wife as the weaker vessel, what he is highlighting is the need to protect. You've probably heard different descriptions of what it means for the woman to be the weaker vessel. And it's probably most helpful to to describe what this is not saying before we talk about what it is saying. How many of you have ever heard that this phrase, the woman as the weaker vessel, refers to, you know what, the wife is just emotionally more weak? How many of you have heard that that's your understanding of the weaker vessel? Okay, a few hands. How many of you say, I have no clue what what this means? Okay, I won't ask you what else you've heard. But let me start out by saying what weakness is not. Peter is not referring to weakness to say that the wife is emotionally weaker than the husband. He's not saying that the wife is intellectually weaker than the husband. He's not saying that the wife is inferior in any way, as a matter of fact. 
Probably one of the most popular interpretations of this phrase, weaker vessel, is to say that the wife is kind of emotionally just more fragile. That, you know, you, you, you have to kind of uh, be really careful because women can't emotionally take as much as men. But that's not what Peter's saying. In fact, uh, what one Bible teacher says Uh, If you want to counteract the thought that women are emotionally weaker than husbands, watch a man during a football game. You see, it's not that women are emotionally weaker than men. It is that each of us have certain sensitivities in different areas. I mean, seeing... Uh, your wife, if you have children, seeing them giving birth and the amount of pain that they can take and, and the mental uh, fortitude that is involved in enduring that. And then, men, we get a cold, and, man, we are on the couch struggling. Right? No one, there's a few chuckles here. So it's not that, that men are emotionally weaker Women are emotionally weaker than men. We each have our areas where we struggle emotionally. So so what is he talking about? What is this weakness? And and what what is Peter saying here? Well, I think it helps when we look at the, the two key words here, vessel and weaker. You see, vessel can can refer to actual vessels in which something is held or contained. But it can also refer in a physical sense to the body. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians 4.4, speaking of the call to holy living, uh, Paul says that each one of you know how to control his own body. Guess what word? Paul uses for the word body. It's this word, vessel. Each one of us knows how to control his own vessel in holiness and honor. In 2 Corinthians 4, 7, uh, Paul is writing about the stewardship of the gospel that he has. And he says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay or vessels, same word. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. What Paul is saying here, not that they have the stewardship of the gospel in a physical vessel, but their bodies are are vessels. That even though they are in weak bodies, bodies that are like clay, that, that deteriorate and crack and break, they get weary. They have a hope despite their weariness because they've been given a treasure, the gospel. So this word vessel here, Peter is using it to refer in a physical sense to the woman. And the word weaker here, it's not talking about weakness of inferiority. 1 Corinthians 12.22, it uses this word, it's talking about how each part of the body is different. And he compares that to the church with each member contributing to the body. He says the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. 
So there is a value in weakness. You see, what Peter is getting at here is that the woman is physically weaker than the man. That, that the woman is, is, is at a place where she can be vulnerable because of oppression. And that heightens the responsibility of the Christian man to honor, to love, to protect his wife. And we also have to remember that, that the woman's weak status in society during the time that this was written. So many times women were undervalued. Women could be trodden over. Women were, were looked at in a weaker, insignificant way. And what Peter is telling us is no. The very fact that God made women physically weaker than men is a picture of how the man is to lovingly and spiritually and, and in all responsibilities to lead, to protect, to guide. You see, Peter emphasizes to husbands their need to value and protect their wives in a unique way in line with their understanding of not only their spouse, but the will of God in stewarding the gospel to her in the home. How sad it is when men take advantage of the weakness of women to pursue their own selfish gain. You see, God created women as the weaker vessel, weaker physically, as an example of the great stewardship men have been given. But just like everything else, Satan loves to twist and distort. So men, how are you living in your understanding of God's will for your life? In every area, but this morning we're specifically looking at the marriage relationship. Are you truly leading your home, leading your wife, leading your children according to the knowledge of God's will? Or are you leading according to your own desires, according to what conveniences you, according to what is the quick, the quick, sidetrack road, the shortcut. But then we see it, we're going to see a second responsibility of the husband this morning. We are to show proper honor to our wives. You see, the first command is live with your wives in an understanding way uh, as the weaker vessel, but the second command is showing honor So again, I want to pinpoint to you the wife's status. The wife is not less than. If you're a single woman here, you are not less than. Peter continually 
highlights the equality of men and women. Because God has given different roles to men and women does not mean that men and women are not equal in value and status. What does he say of wives? Why should, should, should men, should husbands honor their wives since they are heirs with you of the grace of life? You see, the wife's status is not simply homemaker, not simply mother, not simply wife. Whatever it is that, that you place a status in, the wife's status spiritually is an heir of the grace of life. Do you see how these principles are, are, uh, show us the exact same thing no matter if we're a man or woman? We are to have our eyes on our spiritual identity. He says we, uh, that women are heirs with you of this grace of life. Uh, literally, they're joint heirs. So the wife's status is she is a joint family member of equal status. This was not true in the culture of the first century. Uh, the husband was a, had a higher status than the wife. Peter says, no. You are joint heirs. It is not the husband who is the heir to the legacy or the male children. It is men and women. Romans 8, 16-17 uses this word joint heirs. It says the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and here's that word, fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is a very similar context to 1 Peter dealing with oppression and suffering. And what he's saying here is that the inheritance that awaits Christ, we, because we are connected to Christ, partake of that same inheritance. In Ephesians 3, and verse 6, it says, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That word fellow heirs, in other words, Jew and Gentile are now on the same playing field. We're members of the same body, and we are partaking of, of the promise that is given to us in Christ through the gospel, the promise of a future inheritance forever with Jesus. So in other words, Christian men, whether back when this was written in the first century or today in the 21st century, absolutely have no right to relegate their wives to kind of secondary importance in comparison with ourselves. We are joint heirs together. Therefore, guess what? When we are not living according to God's will with our wives, as we will see, we're offending God himself. 
You see, the inheritance that's mentioned here is called the grace of life. Another way to understand that is is the grace which is life. What's he talking about here? He's talking about that spiritual inheritance of completed salvation forever with Jesus, receiving the glorification of Jesus himself. As we have a glorified body, we rule and reign with Christ for all eternity on a new heaven and new earth. That is our inheritance. It's a very inheritance that Peter mentions in chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, that which is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. You see, what this, is, what this means when it says that we're to show honor to our wives who are heirs with us of the grace of life is that as husbands we're to bestow honor upon our wives in anticipation of the honor that is to be both of ours for all eternity. Man, doesn't that up the ante? You see, this isn't about showing love and kindness and honor to your wife so that maybe she can do it back to you. Maybe you'll, be, uh, you'll reciprocate it. No, this is saying we are, are blood-bought believers together and I am going to honor you as I follow God's will for my life and for our family as we join together. I am going to show honor knowing the honor that will be both of ours for all eternity. In other words, as a husband, we've been given a stewardship by God in this marriage. And we even exemplify the work of Christ in our marriages by the pre-honor we place upon our wives in anticipation of that ultimate honor of an inheritance with Jesus forever. Boy, I mean, this is kind of one of those things where you really think about the spiritual significance of, of, of the Scripture's counsel to us in our marriage and it, it, marriages, and it's like, we start to realize how we limit God's design for marriage in our own minds and even in so many books that are written today. But then I want to close, lastly, with this final element of this call to, for men, for us to live according to knowledge of God's will in our lives and in our home, the, the responsibility to be honoring our wife as an heir of the grace of life. Man, in other words, uh, one more analogy just to, to nail this down in your thoughts. Imagine you married the king's daughter. And you know the king, you're going to give an account to the king for, for that marriage. And you know that that, that daughter is going to, to one day be serenaded with, with great glory from the king of that kingdom. Imagine the sense of responsibility on your shoulders. I'm married to the king's daughter. Folks, that's what Peter's talking about. But then he says here at the end, 
so that. In other words, here's the purpose. Your prayers may not be hindered. Here we see the spiritual importance of these responsibilities that God has given us as men. I just want to give you three final thoughts regarding this spiritual importance and we're done. First of all, men, the way we treat our wives matters. Maybe you're a single guy here. The way you treat women matters. You know what this text is really telling us? If we are failing to treat our wives the way that Scriptures tells us, a broken marriage, a, 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 a broken relationship even with our wife, in, in, in a marriage that is strong, is a broken relationship with God. I like what one person says. It's not on the overhead, so just listen closely. We're almost done. He says this, So concerned is God that Christian husbands live in an understanding and loving way with their wives that he interrupts his relationship with them when they are not doing so. No Christian husband should presume to think that any spiritual good will be accomplished by his life without an effective ministry of prayer which we often do, don't we? And no husband may expect an effective prayer life unless he lives with his wife in an understanding way, bestowing honor on her. To take the time to develop and maintain a good marriage is God's will. It is serving God. It is a spiritual activity pleasing in his sight. Wow. So in other words, what this tells me is that I as a pastor, you as, 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 if you're a member here, if you are a Christian, you can even become so busy in the work of the Lord or in serving others that you are actually hindering your relationship with God because you are failing to spiritually fulfill your roles, your responsibilities in the home. And we are actually doing damage to our spiritual relationship with God and with one another by doing those things that are quote-unquote important. That can be really good things. And we as a church have to be really careful that we are not promoting that by keeping people so busy that they can't do the things that they are called to do in the Bible. Listen, you're called to follow God, not to teach a Sunday school program first and foremost, or to teach in Awana, or to be in youth group, or to, do, or to be in the, any of those things. If you are not following what the Bible says, and, or, and none of us are perfect but seeking to follow that, then really, we shouldn't be doing part B. I mean, that's how serious this is. The way we treat our wives, men, matters. Number two, we're not going to expound upon this because we've talked about it in length. Men are to view their wives as God does. 
Maybe this morning part of your problem is you're viewing your wife according to how you've been wronged. Or wife, you're viewing your husband according to how you've been wronged. Number three, witness for God and relationship with God go hand in hand. You see, the earlier in verses 13 all the way to chapter 3, verse 6, the household codes that Peter takes that are common conceptions in society, and he says, no, we, we do these things in a greater way for Christ. Guess what they really had at their core? They, they talked about our witness to unbelievers. That if we don't treat one another and treat authority in the right way, we can actually be hampering the gospel's effectiveness in someone's life. But then when we notice the husband's command in chapter 3, verse 7, man, the ante is up and it says, by not doing these things as a husband, your relationship with God is hindered. You see, we cannot be the right witnesses if we are not individually in our hearts and lives seeking to live according to the call God has placed upon us as Christians. So as we close, maybe you need to fall on your knees this morning in repentance because you have neglected your calling and your responsibility in marriage. Maybe you need to ask your wife's forgiveness for neglecting to treat her, to value her the way that God values and sees her. Wives, maybe you need to ask forgiveness for your husbands because you have not been mindful of your calling as a wife. See, the reality of the gospel, the message of the gospel in your life is to be the motivator to how you pursue your marriage, how you treat your wife. So as we close this morning, I want to remind you once again that we are called to faithful perseverance and mission in light of our identity as the people of God. Our mission does not just extend to society or the church. Our mission is in the home too. Let's pray. Thank you.